this morning, if you turn me, please, in the Word of God into Exodus chapter 12. I want to begin a message this morning, and Lord willing, complete it next Sunday morning when we have communion. Uh, so I want to, it's a two-part message on the price of redemption. It's scary to me today to realize that so many people are trying to just shun away the Word of God. I heard something this past week that scared me to no end. It was a pastor, it was either five or ten years ago, that got up to his congregation. And he basically said, I am so tired, as he held the Bible up, I am so tired of living within the four, four corners of this book. He said, it's time for another testament. And it's time to be one that's more inclusive and one that's more loving. And he got a standing ovation from his congregation. This is scary to me, friends, when you have a lot of people that have a religion they use, but not a true knowledge of a Savior whom we can truly serve. We have created this God in our mind. And this God that we've created in our mind today lets us off with sins and lets us get away with things. And we only call upon God many times, as did the Old Testament Israelites when they got in trouble. They worshipped all these other gods until trouble came. Then we called upon the true God to come to bail us out. That doesn't work, church. The church needs to know her God. And I'm so scared today that there's so many churches, and I don't want to be one of them, that we're not teaching the truth and the integrity of God's word. If there was a Christians today, and, and forgive me, and I'm just going to be blunt, but if we have the Joel Osteen mentality of Christianity, and, and, and we, 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 we cannot debate an atheist or an agnostic today simply because we don't know the truth and integrity of God's word. And yet, the popular things that's preached today can raise a crowd. And right now, the largest church in America is pastored by a man that don't even have a bachelor's degree or any seminary training whatsoever, which that's not a big deal. But I'm tired of fluff and puff and feel good and messages that teach me how to get along on earth, but not preparing people for eternity. And the only thing that I know, church, is the Bible and the book and the blessed hope. And they say, well, we need to come up to age and start preaching something a little better, something that, that applies to this generation. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ applies to every generation. We'll never find a substitute for Jesus Christ. We'll never find anything better than Jesus Christ. You might call him old and archaic, and you may think it's not up to date. Let me tell you, the Bible's more up to date today than tomorrow's newspaper is going to be. I'm not going to be judged by what Oprah says, and I'm not going to be judged by what CNN says, and I'm not going to be judged by what some of these prophets are saying, and I'm not going to be judged according to what some of these fancy preachers say today. But I am going to be judged according to what this book says, and I believe it's important that we read it to be wise and that we believe it to be safe and that we practice it in order to be holy because without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. And church, I just want to tell you this morning, we, God does not give us his commands to imprison us. He gives us his commands to set us free. And I'm grateful today that we have the unadulterated word of the living God from God's mouth to our ear and to our heart. He teaches us how to live godly in an ungodly world. And this stuff today of just playing token with God and playing church is not going to work. We need to make up our mind. We're either on the side of the Lord or we're on the side of the devil. I'm just going to straddle the fence. There's no fence to straddle and the devil owns the fence, by the way. 
Everybody's coming out of the closet, strutting their stuff. Church, come out of the closet today and let the world know who Jesus Christ really is. Today, it is my honor and my privilege to stand behind this sacred desk and to share with you the truth and the integrity and the honesty and the simplicity of the word of a living God. Nothing more, nothing less. Just Jesus Christ, that's all I know. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or out of, from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. When World War II was not going all that well, Winston Churchill said, when Hitler has done his worst, we will do our best. I remind you that, that uh, Churchill, uh, he had to rally the troops. He had to keep the morale up. In some way, he had to stand before a disgruntled British people and try to have their morale up saying, this war can be won. Moses had such a challenge when he stood before Pharaoh, uh, the leader of all of Egypt. As a matter of fact, it was God who had called Moses uh, out of the desert uh, to go with a message before Pharaoh to let the people of God go. Moses was a man that was born into a Hebrew family, uh, but he was adopted as an Egyptian, but there was still Jewish blood flowing through his veins. For 40 years, Pharaoh thought he was somebody in the court of, or Moses thought he was somebody in the court of Pharaoh. And then 40 years he spent his, on the backside of the desert. So 40 years he thought he was somebody. The next 40 years he thought he was a nobody. And then God took the next 40 years and took a nobody and made a somebody out of him. And God called him and commissioned him to go stand before Pharaoh uh, because the nation of Israel uh, was living in bondage and servitude uh, to Egypt and the Pharaoh himself. But yet year in and year out, they went year in and year out. For 400 years, they were in that bondage. And they cried out to God to no avail. But God said, I have heard you. I have seen your affliction. I have come down to deliver you. So God raised up Moses uh, to go before Pharaoh. But here was the, the, the problem. If the nation of Israel refused to listen to Moses, why would Pharaoh even listen to Moses? And yet when Moses went before Pharaoh and said, God said, let these people go, it furiated him. And as a result, he put deeper, deeper uh, uh, bondage upon those people, the, uh, the Israelites, and, and it began to fester more and more, and he despised uh, uh, Moses uh, himself. So once again, when Moses had done his best, Pharaoh did his worst. As the story continues, 
we see that God validated the call and the commission of Moses both to the nation of Israel uh, as well as to Pharaoh in Egypt itself. A series of nine plagues uh, were outpoured upon, upon Egypt. And Pharaoh was con finally convinced uh, that the finger of God uh, was working with him. And he realized that the God of Moses uh, could not be defeated and the God of Moses' miracles could not be duplicated uh, by the magicians uh, that were there in Egypt of that day. All of these plagues that were outpoured upon Egypt was directly a judgment upon the gods uh, that the Egyptians themselves served. Each of these plagues increased in intensity. The first plague was against the Nile. And the rest of the other, uh, other eight plagues, uh, they were against the gods or the animals or the reptiles or, the, or, or whatever uh, that the Egyptians themselves were worshiping. And yet the last plague was very much different. It was a plague that would kill the male firstborn of every house that had not prepared themselves uh, for the passing of the death angel. Each arrow was more destructive uh, than the one that was before it. I remind you, to my knowledge, this is the only nation in the history of the world uh, that received such judgment from God as did the Egyptians on that hour. Well, a couple of things we can learn. Number one, God hates idolatry and God will judge idolatry. But the second thing that we learn is this, all sin will be judged by God either in this world or in the world that is to come. With each plague outpoured upon Egypt, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart more and more and more and his hatred toward Israel continued to fester and fester. Not only is this a story of God's judgment upon, uh, upon Egypt, uh, it's also a story of how God freed his people from slavery, uh, from bondage and from oppression as well. May I remind you this? No freedom can compare uh, to walking away from the burden of the past. And the more painful the past, the more joy when you leave the past behind. And brothers and sisters, if God does not have an answer for our past, I remind you that we have no confidence for our future. But our God has an answer to the past and he always has the way and he always has the means. God was about to free this nation uh, in order that he could bring them into a new land uh, with a new blessing and with new promises upon them. So great was this uh, rescue plan of God uh, that the entire year began anew uh, for the nation of Israel. He made a new beginning on the calendar of Nisa, uh, which basically was in April, was the beginning of Israel's new year. They would now celebrate like they had never celebrated before. Uh, they had seen the hand of God miraculously uh, defeat uh, the gods of Egypt and defeat the armies of Egypt and defeat Pharaoh of Egypt as well. This would indeed be a brand new walk for the people of God, a brand new land, uh, with brand new promises uh, to follow. But the tenth and final plague, this was a different one than all the rest. It was more severe. It would kill the firstborn male in every house that had not prepared uh, for the death angels passing by. Also, it would become known as the Passover uh, for the Jewish people. Uh, they still commemorate a Passover even to this day. But more important than that, I believe, is this. It's the clearest picture of redemption that we can find in the entirety of the Old Testament itself. It's an awesome story of God's redemption uh, for the nation of Israel, but it's also an awesome story uh, that points to the greatest sacrifice that God ever made, and that was the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. 
Son, Jesus Christ. Everything that we read about in the Old Testament uh, points to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament were types. The Old Testament was symbols. But it always pointed uh, toward Jesus Christ the Lord. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, but the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Uh, once again, everything in the Old Testament, it points directly uh, to Jesus Christ. Now, God spoke to Moses, speaking into the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month you shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their father, a lamb for a house. If the lamb was too big to feed a household, other families were invited to eat in order that the lamb would not be wasted. And then, notice what else? The lamb had to be perfect. The Bible said, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. The requirement for the Passover lamb is given to us in greater detail in Leviticus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24. But here's a synopsis. The lamb could not be blind. It cannot have a crooked nose. It cannot have a broken hoof. It cannot have a broken bones. It cannot have any boils, any scars, or any sores upon its flesh whatsoever. And its wool had to be fleecy white. It cannot just be any lamb. It had to be a perfect lamb as far as humanity was concerned. I remind you uh, that because the outward perfection of the lamb, uh, it was a picture of the inward perfection of the Lamb of God that that was to come and his name is Jesus Christ. Paul said of Jesus Christ that he knew no sin. The author of Hebrews said, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but at all points tempted as we are, yet with out sin. And also remind you that Peter said that he was the lamb without blemish and Jesus was the lamb uh, without spot. Only a spotless, sinless Savior can pull us up out of our sinful predicament. Did you hear that? Only a sinless, a spotless lamb uh, can pull us up out of our own problem. In the Old Testament, the question was, where is the lamb? Uh, when John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River and Jesus comes walking down, it was John said, Behold the Lamb. But you look in the book of Revelation and it said, Worthy uh, is the Lamb uh, who has been slain uh, from the foundation of the world. We serve a perfect God and he gave us a perfect sacrifice. It may not cost you anything to get saved, but it cost him everything that you and I can be saved for the glory of God. The perfection of the lamb, it had to be examined for a period of time. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Since it was selected on the 10th day, the lamb before it could be slain and the Passover had to be watched over carefully for four days. I remind you that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, uh, he was examined by family and friends for 30 years. He was examined by disciples and multitude uh, for three years. As a matter of fact, even his bitter enemies had to admit that he was without blemish. Pilate himself said, I find no fault in him. Uh, Judas said later, I have betrayed innocent blood. And even the demons of hell said of Jesus, let us alone. Uh, we have What we have to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth, art they come to destroy us? I know that thou art who thou art, the Holy One of God. Uh, everybody examined him. Uh, uh, his life was under a microscope. Nobody viewed Jesus and examined Jesus more uh, 
God than they did him. But everybody had to say, there's nothing wrong with him. There's no fault in him. There's no guile in him. Uh, there's no sin in him. He's the perfect lamb that's given to us from a perfect God today. In order to convict Jesus, his enemies had to hire liars uh, in order to fabricate stories about him in order they might be able to put him to death. But I remind you, as God the Father uh, that approved of Christ's own perfection uh, when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had a level of wholeness in him that the human eye could not see. Did you hear me? There was a level of wholeness in Jesus Christ that the human eye could not see. But get this. He was not just sinless, but he also had the positive quality of righteousness in him that belongs only to God. With a Passover lamb, there was no quality of wholeness in it. But when the Lamb of God comes, not only is he sinless, but there was a quality of God's holiness that was within him. And that's why you and I need the justification and the righteousness of Jesus Christ in us today. I remind you we become the righteousness of God, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. By accepting Jesus as our Savior, he does not make us righteous. He declares that we are righteous. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been applied to our account. It is a legal term today. Many years ago, David Koresh, remember him in Waco, Texas, he led 85 people to a fiery death. He claimed to be their Messiah, but he said, I am a sinful Messiah. Friend, a sinful Messiah is a useless Messiah. There has only been one sinless Messiah. His name is Jesus. There's only been one perfect Messiah. His name is Jesus. There's been only one that can cleanse me of my sin. His name is Jesus. Uh, he didn't just come and polish me up. Thank God I've been born brand new uh, because of the blood that's been shed abroad in my life. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that defeated the devil. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that defeats demons. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that defeats condemnation. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us freedom and gives us liberty. There is no other name given among men are by heaven whereby we must be saved except the holy name of Jesus Christ the Lord who poured out his blood and every one of us that had that blood applied to our life we are fit to stand before a holy God not in the works that I've done not by the name that I have not by the money that I've given not by the clothes that I wear but because of the blood of Jesus Christ the son of God I am fit candidate for the kingdom of God today there's no death on hell that can stop me uh, there's no lie the world can stop me uh, there is no demon of darkness that can pull me down. I look to Jesus Christ and one drop of the blood of the Son of the living God. Heaven is mine and hell is behind me and the rest of it go to hell by itself. I know in whom I believe and I am persuaded that my God is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. That's all that's going to cleanse us. The blood is what we need this morning. Why was the standard set so high? Because the lamb is a picture of that inward perfection of Jesus Christ. Again, notice if you will, in order to convict Jesus, enemies had to lie about him. But God the Father approved of him. It was sinless, but he had the positive quality of righteousness within him. Now we become the righteousness of God. Now regarding the Passover lamb, the Bible said, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the morning. The chosen lamb in the Passover had to be chosen. 
They would take a knife and they would slit the throat of that lamb. Through my readings through the years, I have been told by some of the lambs that when they die, it was a slow death. You think they die instantly, but sometimes it's slow. The blood begins to ooze out. And there have been times that a lamb whose neck had been slit open would turn around and begin to lick its own blood from the hand of the person that slit its throat. You're talking about humility. And when that blood began to pour out, it was caught in a basin. But I remind you that neither the Passover lamb nor Jesus Christ died accidentally or of natural causes. Both were chosen to be deliberately put to death. Even though one person killed the lamb, the whole assembly were responsible for it. Notice, if you will, when the religious leaders cried out, crucify him, crucify him, referring to Jesus, they said, let his blood be on our hands and that of our children. Peter on the day of Pentecost accused the entire nation of crucifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. But both the Passover lamb and Jesus were killed by one person perhaps, but the whole assembly was responsible. When was the Passover lamb killed? Literally according to the Hebrew language, between 3 o'clock in the afternoon and 6 o'clock in the evening. How do we know that? This is the exact time that Jesus crucified. We know that Jesus died at the same time the Passover lambs in Israel were dying as well. Can you imagine all of the lambs throughout Israel, they had the knife to the throat and the whole time that they were getting ready to slice the, the, the throat of that lamb, the lamb of God was dying upon the cross for the sins of the entire world. When both the Passover lamb and Jesus were put to death, no bones in their body were broken. Jesus died earlier than expected. The Roman soldiers would come by and break the legs of those on the crosses so they'd have to die. But there was not a bone in the body of Jesus broken and what they did, they could not do according to their own law of that day and they did not break a bone in the body of Jesus Christ the Lord. So both the Passover lamb and Jesus Christ were put to death, though they were perfect, they were crucified on the same day at the very same time, the same hour, and both of them had no bones broken. Do you see the type and the shadow pointing toward the person of Jesus Christ? The Israelites may not have understood it all, but all they knew that they were sinners and God was providing some kind of protection for them. But next, they begin to deal with the blood. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the side post and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. The reason for this is clear. The Bible said, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The blood of the lamb of the Passover showed a sharp distinction between Israel and the nation of Egypt. And the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our life gives a sharp distinction between sinners and saints. Between those going to hell and those of us going to heaven. Let me tell you something, friend. The blood has power. The blood of Christ has authority. The distinction could not be taken for granted because the Israelites would suffer the same fate 
as the Egyptians if they had did not take the blood of that lamb and put hyssop in that blood and dip it upon the doorpost and the lentils of that home. Maybe this represented the cross. I don't know. But here's one thing for sure. There was no precedent to follow. There was no scientific reason to do it. There was no reason other than for Moses getting the command of God to take the blood and the bowl, put the hyssop in it, and put it upon the doorpost and the pillars of that house. No reason, no scientific reason, no precedent to follow. Why did they do it? Because God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. By that time, the people began to listen to the words of Moses because what Moses said came to pass. And they killed that sacrifice lamb. Uh, they began to take that blood and put it up on the doorpost of lentils, which really was symbolic of a cross itself. And those that were under the blood would be spared. The faith of Moses kindled faith in the lives of two million people that day. Now, only blood on the door could save them. A door locked could not keep out the angel of death. Only blood on the door could save them. Pleading ignorance could not save them. Being faithful to the command of God yesterday uh, could not save them. No so-called reasonable excuse uh, would save them from the judgment that was forthcoming. Only the blood of the Lamb was recognized by the Almighty God. And those who applied the blood of the doorpost of the middle, they did not have to defend themselves because there's merit in the blood itself. I remind you, I don't have to defend myself. There's merit in the blood that Jesus Christ shed. I don't know how blood that was shed over 2,000 years ago uh, still makes the captive free, but it still works. I don't know how the blood 2,000 years ago can give me peace with God, but it still works. I don't know how the blood that was shed 2,000 years ago defeats the devil from my life, but it still works. I don't know how the blood 2,000 years ago that makes me overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony, but thank God it still works today. I fly an airplane and I still can't understand how it gets off the ground, but I enjoy flying. I don't know how a brown cow eats green grass and gives white milk and yellow butter and brown purses and shoes, but I know it works. I don't know how bloodshed works, but thank God today, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus sets the captive free for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Those who had the blood on their door were not partly saved and partly exposed to judgment. The fact is, their estimation of the blood didn't even matter. What mattered was God's estimation to the blood. My estimation of the blood really don't matter. I wanted to mean a lot, but it's God's estimation of the blood. He didn't say, let me see who's in that door. Let me see who's under that blood. There might have been some Egyptians that were under it. It's when I see the blood, not who's inside not what they've done but when I see the blood there's power in the blood imagine a conversation that day there's fear among the people Moses gave the command you've seen the nine plagues that poured upon the idolatry of Egypt the Nile River and all these beasts and all these animals they worship but here's the final one Pharaoh became a god unto the people but the firstborn male that's not of the blood is going to die. I got a feeling the Israelites are going, we better listen to Moses. We better get that goat or that lamb in here that's perfect. And let's get that blood up on the doorpost. And while they're sitting there in fear and trepidation, a young boy may look up and say, Dad, with tears in his eyes, Dad, 
I got to be honest with you. Am I going to be safe? I've lied to you and mom, and you're not aware of it. I'd go down to the caravans and they come through the desert, and I would steal from the vagabonds, from nomads, from time to time. And dad, I'm ashamed, but there are times I'd go to the Egyptians' tent and play peekaboo while those women were undressing. You think God can save me? Son, trust the blood. Trust the blood. The angel of the Lord made no distinction. Let me tell you something. It's possible for some of the Israelites might have been more sinners than some of the Egyptians. Do you hear me? It's possible that some of the Israelites might have been worse sinners than some of the Egyptians. But it's the blood that the angel looked for. The angel made no distinctions. He seemed to look for the blood upon the doorpost and lentils. So today, the blood, without it, no sinner can be saved. Without it, no small sinner can be saved. And with it, no big sinner can be lost. We tend to totem pole sin. This is bad. That's not so bad. All sin is sin. It's going to be judged of God. But for God's sake, get under the blood. Amen. Maybe there's a firstborn child there. said, Dad, I'm mostly a roller coaster today. I'm just a basket case, Dad. Why? There's things I've done. And there's a knock on the door. And the man walks up and said, Jacob, I need to talk to you about your boy. Not aware of this, but so many years ago, he did this. And it's sinful and it's bad. We better tell you all about it. Dad, is the, is the Lord going to help me? How could the boy, the father, respond to an accusation? He didn't have to give any defense. He simply pointed to the blood. And when your past comes up, and when my past comes up, and God knows we've got skeletons in our closets, and if you don't, you're lying and your feet stink. We've all got those skeletons in our closet. And when they come up, we don't, oh God, oh God, you'll never win a battle with the devil. You point him to the blood. You point it to the blood. You point it to the blood. The blood was their only hope of God passing wrath by them. The blood was their source of peace for God, with God, and for all of eternity. Maybe there's some families thought this blood thing's too messy, too smelly, too nasty. Uh, I am uh, just painting my house. I ain't putting no blood on the doorpost and little on my house. I'm not doing that. It's just my, I, I prefer this other form of religion where I do my prayers and I give my alms and I do generous acts of kindness. And I, 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 that's my form of fashion. I get on my new, new camel every Sunday morning with my new sandals on it and we go down to the first church down there and, and we do our thing. That's our form of religion. But if death angel drops by, friend, that's not going to help at all. You see, the list might have been tacked to the door when the death angel came by of all the good things that you've done, but death is still going to come. There are no substitutes, church, for the blood of Jesus Christ. Another family could have argued, you know, death angel not going to bother us. We're admirers of the lamb. We have this lamb. We take it out back and we feed it every day and we water it every day and we... We, 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 you know, we pet it every day and we play with it every day. We just admire the lamb. So surely the death angel comes, we'll be okay. No, you can think that Jesus was a great teacher, phenomenal prophet, or a good man. But friends, just because you admire him, that doesn't mean you're going to stop the judgment of God from coming. I remind you today, friend, God had spoken. He speaks today. Blood on the doorpost and the lentils was all that mattered to the death angel. 
When that morning came, and they were all hunkered down, condemnation, fear, torment, accusation, but they kept looking at that blood, then all of a sudden you could hear all the mourning and all the grief and all the crying throughout Israel, or throughout Egypt, because there was not one house in all of Egypt that was not affected by the death of somebody. Just as Moses had said to those that did not have the blood applied to the doorpost, there was death. The Bible said, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. We may not understand why blood's important to God, but it is. I said, We may not understand why blood is important to God, but it is. Blood is not only necessary to essentially believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But even though you and I that are born again, we still wrestle with the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and you will to the day you die. I don't care how close you get to God, you're still flesh, you're still human, that sin nature is still in you. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the entire world. But he also said if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise God for that. You want to have peace with God today? Then you must accept the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord. As a Christian, are you tired of walking in condemnation with the devil? He is the accuser of the brethren. He's a, what he does, he does diabolically well. Every day Satan goes before the throne of God accusing you and accusing me. And the thing that's truthful about it, what he tells God about you and me is probably the truth. But what he tells you and me about God is always a lie. Point him to the blood. Don't argue. You'll never win an argument with the devil. You point him to the blood. You have sins and shortcomings in your life. Plead the blood of Christ over your life. How do you overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Brothers and sisters, the greater our invitation to grace, the greater the judgment upon those who refuse it. Let me say it again. The greater our invitation to grace, the greater the judgment for those who refuse it. I'm grateful to God for the blood of Jesus. 